Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Bonnie Beach has spent the last 29 years of her career as a proud public servant in the Canadian federal government, where she started at Statistics Canada in 1991. She then spent 10 years working for Global Affairs Canada, where she was responsible for elements of the information technology network in the 180 Canadian embassies and consulates across the globe. In this position, Bonnie had the pleasure of working in several countries in Africa, Europe, and throughout the United States. In 2000, Bonnie made a move from global affairs to social programming within the Department of Human Resources and Skills Development, where she was responsible for components of the Canadian Pension Plan, Old Age Security, and the Guaranteed Income Supplement. Realizing her interest in social programs and policy, Bonnie moved to the First Nations and Inuit Health Branch in 2006, where she has been for the past 15 years. She has worked in or has led several program areas, including the Non-Insured Health Benefits Program, Strategic Policy and Partnerships, Jordan's Principal, and for a period of just under a year, the Acting Regional Executive in the Ontario Region, the branch's largest region in Canada. Bonnie is the Director of Nursing Now Canada, coordinating and at times leading the Canadian response to the World Organization's three-year global campaign to raise awareness of and support nurses and midwives in Canada. Since March of this year, Bonnie has been the headquarters lead executive in the planning of her organization's COVID-19 response. In addition to planning the COVID-19 response, Bonnie has also recently taken on the task of coordinating her branch's business resumption plans. Bonnie's formal education includes early childhood education, computer science, and a master's of global business administration. Bonnie is married with two daughters and three grandchildren whom she adores. She loves to golf, swim, and is very involved in a number of charities, including the Canadian Cancer Society, as she is a cancer survivor herself. Hi, Bonnie. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for being here on Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. I'm excited to talk with you and hear some of your stories. I know you have quite an extensive career in healthcare. And what's really unique, I think, about you as a guest and, and your path is that your path into healthcare has been somewhat different than perhaps what is, is typical. I'd love to hear how you uh, came to be into healthcare and, and how that all unfolded for you. Well, I want to start off, first of all, by thanking you uh, very, very much for the opportunity to speak. I think it's a huge honor. Um, you know, the, your other guests are, are very eloquent, and, and I hope I can do them justice. But um, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I think that uh, the work that uh, Tall Trees does in highlighting uh, leadership, um, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today because I'm not a healthcare professional. Um, and so your question about, you know, how in blue blazes did I get here? It's, it's a really <laughs> good one. Um, 
I actually, my background is actually early childhood education. I studied to be a primary school teacher uh, and did that for a couple of years um, and then um, found myself, uh, to be quite frank, not all that challenged um, in, um, in the area that I was, that I was in. Uh, went back to school, uh, did computer science, uh, because that's what you do when you, you know, move from education, um, and ended up uh, getting a job um, even before I really actually finished all of my coursework, I was extremely fortunate. It was right at the time when there was this huge boom of, you know, personal computers. And, and so I, I got a job at Stats Canada in a job that um, afforded me the opportunity to see how the government worked, first of all. Uh, so the federal government is where I've been for 29 and a quarter years because I have about three quarters of a year left until I hit my 30 year mark. Um, mm, wow, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Um, and, uh, and I was at Stats Canada in a job that frankly, I wasn't all that enamored with. Um, I was doing programming all by myself, you know, day after day in front of a computer and I'm such a people person. But the, um, the organization was frankly very forward thinking, recognizing that my background was education. They actually asked me to start teaching um, some of the computer uh, programming and, and you know, methodology and stuff in order to capitalize on my, on my education background. So I did that for a time, and that segued into a completely different job. Um, I, I won at um, what was then Energy Minds and Resources. Um, and um, then from there, uh, I won another job at Global Affairs. And uh, in global affairs, so all of these jobs were computer-based. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, when I was at global affairs, I was there for almost 10 years. I was exceptionally fortunate. I uh, was able to travel around the world, uh, working in embassies uh, and consulates around the world, and uh, really broadening my view of the world and um, helping me to remain humble in recognizing that, um, you know, as an individual, you may say to yourself, I don't know how I could make a difference, but the reality is it just takes one person to change one other person's life. Mm. So I was courted while I was at, um, at the department to, uh, you know, come and work at a social program at uh, what was then uh, Human Resources and Skills Development Canada. Uh, so I headed up an area um, that had responsibility for portions of the Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security. And, um, uh, and guaranteed income supplement. And all of a sudden, Leah, I just thought to myself, this is where I'm meant to be in social programming. Mm. You know, where I could make a difference, where I could help influence policy, where I could, you know, put operations into place. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that work. Uh, I was then contacted by uh, an executive at Health Canada who said, you know, recognize you're not a healthcare professional. However, we need somebody who's got kind of that broad view of government um, and can manage uh, programs regardless of whether or not they have the expertise. Mm. So I, um, I remember saying to myself, oh my goodness, you know, like social programming made sense to me. I was in the IT side of things, but it was, it was just spoke to my heart and, and really uh, fulfilled me. But 
I remember talking to a colleague and saying, you know, my goodness, I don't know, you know, moving into healthcare, ooh, I, you know, I'm not a healthcare professional. I would go in as an executive and a colleague said to me, a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what it was built for. Oh, wow. Exactly. Kind of gives you goosebumps. Um, yeah. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, he was, he was not someone who said a lot, but when he spoke, you know, it was really um, profound. And so I took that leap of faith and I uh, joined the organization that I'm in now, the First Nations and Inuit Health Branch. Uh, at the time we were in Health Canada, we're now part of the, you know, two-year-old department, Indigenous Services Canada. Uh, okay. And I have been in healthcare, managing healthcare in various capacities for going on 16 years. Okay. Wow. So you've had quite a diverse background and it's so interesting. The more I do these or have these conversations with people, the more I realize that the path into leadership in healthcare can be so unique mm -hmm. and so diverse. Um, so I'm curious to hear, I'm going to just jump back for a moment to your time in the embassies and at what point, or maybe I'll ask you this, what was the biggest piece of learning that you had from working around the world with different cultures, um, different ways of life? What did you take away from that time? I took away a couple of things. Um, what really hit me is how incredibly we fort how fortunate we are in Canada. So mm -hmm. I was working in Africa. I was working in the Ivory Coast of Africa, and I worked in um, in Kenya, I worked in Zimbabwe, I worked in South Africa, I worked in Zaire, uh, like I worked, you know, a fair bit throughout Africa. And um, I would come back to Canada. And we would sit down at like a Thanksgiving dinner, and there would be this spread of food and, and we would, you know, eat ourselves till we, you know, eat food rather until we felt just so full that we had to unbutton our pants. And I, <laughs> we've all been there, right? And yep. <laughs> I would, I would look around the, the room and I would say to myself, I had just left a village where this amount of food for, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 people would feed a village of 40. Right. And it had such a, a deep and profound influence on me as a person and me as a leader that um, I had I had not really prepared myself for that level of kind of that uh, emotional intelligence to sit back and say, how can I better the lives of people uh, that I work with, that I work for, that work with me? Um, and, and it's not just in my professional life, it also spills over into my private life with, with the charity work that I do. And I, mm. I think a lot of that was driven by the recognition uh, at very early in my career that there are so many people who don't have the same opportunities that we do. And I think as leaders, our job really truly is to empower people so that they have opportunities, whether that be internal to you know, your own teams or the clients that you serve. It's how do you empower people to have opportunity and choice? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so beautifully put. And, and I love that focus on opportunity and choice and, and empowering people. So not doing for them, mm -hmm. but working with them. And so it sounds like your earlier career 
really set the foundation for the work that you do now. And as you mentioned earlier, when you moved into healthcare-based services and social services, you had that sense of this is where I belong. Um, So I'm curious to hear, how did that realization come about? Was it all of a sudden or was it over time? Oh, great question. Um, I think, uh, you know, because my, my soul really felt fulfilled with the social programming, moving into health absolutely uh, was a good and and natural progression for me. Um, But Mm -hmm. I am not a healthcare provider. And let me tell you, uh, one of the things that I learned I think day one, because literally day one, I was asked to approve something and I wasn't even sure what it meant. Um, (laughs) And I learned really, really quickly that I am the least intelligent person sitting at that table. I mean, I, you know, I'm well-educated, I have a degree and and you know what, I have a master's in, in, in uh, business administration, but I surround myself with people who have expertise that I don't. And I fill a, a position on a team with perhaps a skill set that they don't necessarily have. And it's because we're a team that it works. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I've managed people as, you know, groups as large as 600, of which 450 of them were healthcare professionals. And mm-hmm. I would say to you that I bring people into meetings with me. I, I seek their opinion. I, I ask the really blunt questions. You know, I don't understand why this is important. Now, 16 years later, give me a drug. I can tell you the likely interactions. <laughs> You know, <laughs> uh, you know, throw yeah. out a, a, a surgery and I can tell you what potential, you know, drugs you're going to be on afterwards. I've been at this long enough now that by proxy, I have gained knowledge, but I don't for a moment think that, that I'm a healthcare professional. I really rely on those around me that can uh, provide that expertise. And frankly, I provide them with opportunities to shine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's something that in healthcare, we need to see more and more of is that balance. And I'll say balance and diverse perspective, right? Um, Because as healthcare providers, we're coming to the table with one type of perspective. um, And others can offer some different perspective and different takes on scenarios and situations and how to proceed forward. So what do you think was the biggest thing you had to learn? I think I had to learn um, that I, I that I wasn't the smartest person in the, the room and um, really uh, check my ego, to be honest, mm-hmm. and learn to um, embrace humility and recognize that everybody plays an important role. And I sound a little bit like an egomaniac. It's not that. It's that when you go into an executive position, people look to you for the answer. And when you're not a healthcare professional, you might say to yourself, well, you know, don't ask Bonnie. She's, she's not going to have a perspective on things. But that's not true. In fact, I think one of the, the best things about working with healthcare professionals, uh, in my opinion, is their kindness. Um, you know, they, they come from a place of wanting to help people and whether it be, I mean, so I've had doctors who work for me, dentists, pharmacists, nurses, nurse practitioners, um, you know, occupational therapists, I've, I've managed the gambit of healthcare professionals. And I would say with all confidence, 
almost resoundingly, the number one quality that just comes through in spades is kindness and professionalism. Mm. And I think it's that kindness and that willingness to be supportive um, that has allowed me uh, the opportunity to sit in leadership positions, even though I'm not a healthcare professional. I mean, think about that. That's, that's very unusual. Um, however, I would say in many ways, it has resulted in a really good marriage of different perspectives for sure, but also looking at it, not from a, you know, truly science based, but also mm-hmm. policy angle and the, and the client issue and, and the client angle rather, and the whole of government approach. And it's really, I, I think, been a very exciting time. So I'm curious to know, is there an example or a story you can share where that kindness just shone through? Does it have to be my professional life? No, not at all. Okay. So um, you probably remember the wildfires uh, in the fall, uh, kind of late fall, early winter in Australia. Yes. Um, And so uh, when I was uh, studying to be a teacher, um, I was actually the art teacher. And I uh, loved, loved, loved my job. Um, But uh, when I switched careers and moved into the government, I needed to keep a part of that creativity alive. And so I belong to a number of Facebook groups uh, for various sewing and and crafting and those sorts of things. And when the wildfires were happening uh, in kind of early winter, so think about like Mm -hmm. December-ish, I felt uh, very moved to try and help and um, I reached out to my Facebook group uh, here in Ottawa and I said you know is anybody else interested in joining me in I don't know what we could do I mean we're a bunch of you know this particular group is a bunch of sewers yeah (laughs) like you know we're a long way from where these poor animals and people are being displaced and and I said I really don't know what we could do but you know is anybody in And this uh, one lady joined in and she said, I'm actually from Australia and I have a contact in Australia who can tell us what's needed. And this all transpired over, I think, maybe 24 to 48 hours, these email conversations and eventually telephone conversations. And what ensued was a commitment to join a Canadian group who was also joining this global movement of knitters, crocheters, and sewers who uh, were crafting things for the animals affected by the wildfires. And I just, you know, I mean, I I couldn't watch the videos of these poor animals and these people being displaced without, you know, welling up in tears and thinking, oh my God, I have to help somehow. Mm -hmm. um, So I reached back out to my sewing group and I said, hey, we could sew things for the animals. Do you know, Leah, in a span of 10 days, so three ladies, there's myself and two others, uh, we set up a uh, Ottawa-specific sewing group because we were part of that larger Canadian group, focused on um, making um, pouches for the baby kangaroos, you know, the joeys whose mums had perished, or mittens for the koala bears whose hands were singed, her paws were singed. Um, And in a span of 10 days, we had enough material uh, crafted, sewn, crocheted, uh, and uh, knit 
that we actually filled an Air Canada cargo plane. Hmm. And Air Canada flew the stuff for free to Australia for us in a span of 10 days. We had 5,000 kilograms of crafted materials in 10 days. That is so remarkable. It, it really is. I'm still getting goosebumps. Um, yeah. And, and so how does that link, you might ask yourself. So I would say to you that what we did was totally Canadian. Mm-hmm. We roll up our sleeves. We say, what do you need? You know, we're going to pick up a casserole on the way <laughs> and <laughs> help you with your dishes. And we're going to vacuum while you, while you nurse your baby. And we're going to sew pouches, whatever it takes. And uh, it isn't all women. It was just a, a, whole, a whole bunch of sewers across the, the city. And to me, what was um, really evident was that leaders come in all shapes, sizes, walks of life. But to me, leaders are kind. Mm-hmm. And they really want to focus on how they can help other people. So if you think about management, um, managers, you know, make sure that there's 52 widgets built by the end of Friday and, you know, that everybody is on, you know, doing their shift. Sure, managers do that. But a leader says, do you think these widgets make sense? And mm-hmm. do you think the right person is actually making the widgets? And do you not really feel motivated? How can we motivate you? What can we do differently? There are, ju- and so it comes from a place of, of trying to, as I said earlier, provide opportunities and, and uh, you know, I don't know, opportunities and, and choices and options for people to really excel. But I think that's grounded in kindness and the leaders that I try to emulate have been some of the kindest people I've ever met. Hmm. So I'm going to ask you about those those leaders in just a moment, because I'm curious to hear which leaders you've looked up to. But before I do there, uh, do that, I do want to just acknowledge the work that you did and all of those people at part of that group for supporting the animals during the Australian wildfires. And the collaboration that was shown is remarkable. I'm thinking about your comment about leaders come in all shapes and sizes. And I think that's something that is starting to become a bit more prevalent in our awareness of leadership. There's a great TED talk by Drew Dudley about everyday leadership. And what occurred to me was thinking back to my own time in uh, specifically acute care doing frontline nursing. And I remember uh, one particular nurse who would just go about her day. She worked hard. Um, There was no fanfare. She was a great nurse. She just did her job. And I remember one day she came back after her shift had ended. She had gone home, showered, grabbed some food, and had come back to sit with an individual who was dying. And that individual had no family or friends with them. And so she came back just to sit with that person for a few hours that evening. And to me, that just highlights that idea that leadership looks different and leaders look different and it comes in so many forms. And that, to your point about that kindness being the base of that. Mm-hmm. Well, that, first of all, that was a very fortunate patient to have such a caring individual you know cross paths with them um i think that 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 to me is a perfect example of 
here's a, a nurse who, you know, wasn't looking for accolades, wasn't, you know, you know, shining the spotlight on herself, but rather um, led uh, somebody through the last stages of their, their life here on earth by, by staying with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that, that's a, that's a pretty amazing individual. And I bet you that person is doing a ton of things behind the scenes that other people don't even know. Yeah. And that's the thing it's behind the scenes often, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think that's what leaders do though. Right. I mean, they, yeah, they take the podium from time to time because they get asked to speak about things, but more often they say to somebody, I know you think you're going to throw up when you get up on the podium, but you're not going to throw up. <laughs> Speaking isn't for everybody, but the leader stands beside that person right before they get up and then they sit in the front row so that that person can see a friendly face and the leader doesn't have to be the one at the podium. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely. It is okay. So let's go back to that comment you made about your mentors and the people you've looked up to if you would care to share who those individuals are and what were the qualities that made you admire them so much Mm. well when I was at foreign affairs um, I had uh, finished traveling uh, and working around the world and I was transitioning into a job that had me uh, just stationary here in Ottawa I um, was expecting my my second daughter I have two daughters um, and three beautiful grandkids, but uh, expecting my second daughter. And um, I uh, was having a bit of a tough time, to be honest, because when I was abroad, um, life isn't really, um, you know, it isn't as routine as you are here, right? I mean, you know, you'd zip up to Istanbul for the weekend to see the Blue Mosque or, you know, jump on a plane and go see Victoria Falls and, you know, go on a safari. Uh, you know, here, I'm going to zip up to the grocery store and yay, I'm going to throw a lot of laundry in. <laughs> and I'm, you know, back to reality. And um, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I was struggling a little bit. And my director in, in what was then Foreign Affairs, uh, now Global Affairs, he recognized in me things that I didn't recognize in myself. And so rather than call me out on the carpet and say, you know, Bonnie, you know, just get over yourself and, you know, get back to reality. He was really um, patient with me. Uh, and it wasn't like I was a, you know, a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. I was just trying to adjust. Um, and, and life was very, very different. And he, mm-hmm. uh, he was kind. He was professional. He was patient. Um, and he gave me lots of individual face time uh, and allowed me that safe space to talk through you know, how I was feeling, uh, which sometimes can be an uncomfortable thing in an office setting, right? Not everybody wants to know when they ask you, you know, how are you doing? Maybe they really don't want to know. <laughs> Maybe it's just a, you know, a polite thing to say. But he, really, he really meant it. And yeah. he remembered, you know, that when I had like an ultrasound when I was expecting, and he remembered, you know, he was a, he was a dad with a couple of kids. And he left the government shortly after, uh, and he. by the time I came back from maternity leave, he was gone. And there was a huge void for me in the organization after that because I, I felt like um, he recognized in me the potential that I didn't yet know I had. And if I look back at his leadership style, I would mm-hmm. say that I observed him 
adjusting his leadership style based on who he was talking to. And I don't mean that to sound like he was not genuine. He was very genuine, but he seemed like to have this innate ability to know what the other person needed. And I have tried really, really hard to emulate that um, because it, it, mm. it had such a positive influence on me professionally and personally that it really um, helped kind of shape how I try to deal with folks who work for me. You know, I try to know their kids' names or know that, you know, that their dog is really sick and, you know, they may have to put their dog down. Or I know that, you know, they've got something really exciting coming up and you know what, you know, why don't you just book Friday afternoon off and, you know, take some, t some annual leave and just go and, and, and be really in the moment. Um, and so from that leader, I really learned that what you see in somebody isn't all that they are that they're, you know, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. And if you can mentor them, if you can mm -hmm. provide them with those opportunities, I would say, you know, the majority, if not all the people that I've afforded those opportunities to have well surpassed what I thought they could do. And that's not because I didn't believe in them. It's because they just soared. Mm -hmm. And I think that's beautifully put. And I hear so much kindness in this leader that was that influence on you. Um, mm -hmm. That really comes through. And it sounds like one of his approaches was to really tap into that personal knowledge that he had of who you are and what's important to you and what you have on your life going on in your life, as well as um, others. And, you know, I had a person once tell me that leadership is about meeting people where they're at. And the example they gave is mm -hmm. if you travel to Italy, for example, you make every effort to speak Italian. And so leadership is a little bit like that. Uh, you know, if you don't speak Italian, it's not going to be necessarily easy. Um, and it takes time and it takes effort but on the receiving end, that person who sees that, that struggle you're going through, or maybe just the attention that you have to speaking Italian, that goes a really long way for people. And that speaks to the humility part, right? I think, it, mm -hmm. I think it's a fantastic um, example of, you know, not being a healthcare professional. So I'm going to travel into Italy, but in this case, Italy is the healthcare system. And yeah. I, I am going to try and order a plate of pasta because heaven knows I'm going to just devour it. But I, <laughs> I am not sure how to do that. And, mm -hmm. and so I think meeting people where they're at is really important. Um, and I think recognizing that every single person has things going on outside their professional life. Good, mm -hmm. bad, you know, mediocre. And if you think about our times in COVID-19, and how important it is to stay, uh, you know, virtually connected. Um, you know, I have, um, I have a team right now uh, as part of the work that I'm doing, and we have a virtual Zoom meeting every Friday morning. Um, and it is a way to, you know, have people get up and shower and put on a little makeup or shave or, you know, um, or shave and put makeup on, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it really... Uh, reconnects us. Um, yeah. But I think that, uh, you know, meeting people where they're at 
also means that things aren't linear, right? I may be doing okay today. And if you think about the, you know, the Corona coaster, as I've heard it called, uh, where one day you're, you're up and you're, you're just, woohoo, look at me, I'm exercising and I've, you know, baked seven loaves of bread and I've, you know, I'm on top of the world. And <laughs> the next day you're like, yeah, I'm not really into this. And, yeah. and so leadership through times like this, that if your style is draconian or very militant and you, you know, it's my way or the highway kind of approach, think how difficult that leader would be to work with and for at times where you can't read body language and you, you can't, you know, see them rolling their eyes and, you know, because those sorts of things uh, are, are some of the social cues that we, we pick up on. Whereas a leader, first of all, doesn't roll their eyes. The leader leans in and says, why do you think that? Mm-hmm. They're curious. Yeah. 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 And I think that curiosity is so key. I mean, one of the best phrases you can use um, in leadership, I think, is tell me more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it seems like such a simple phrase. And as a coach myself, I use it in coaching all the time, too. And it's just so effective. If you just say, tell me more, well, what else what, is going on for you? Yeah. Or, or what do you think? Yeah. And it, and it isn't one of those passing in the hallway, say, hey, how you doing? And, you know, nobody even stops to, you know, listen, you know, I've just, you know, I've severed my limb. Oh, good. Have a good day. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lean in with curiosity and kindness and openness and willingness to, to be humble and say, I don't, I don't know enough about this, you know, tell me more. Or what do you think? What do you think we should do? Mm-hmm. And, and be prepared to, change your course. If you think, you know, your, the path that you were on, if, if folks have said to you, I really don't think that's the way we should we be going, you know, may, maybe we need to do this, be open to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think that openness is the key right there. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned COVID. So I'm curious, uh, given COVID-19 and all the stress and turmoil that is occurring from that and for our friends in the United States, all the challenges they're experiencing right now, how can we be mindful of kindness on a day-to-day basis? Wow. I think, I think, again, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, I mean, that's, that sounds so cliche, but it's very true. I think the other thing is think the best of people and their intentions don't automatically think the worst, Mm. you know? So if, if somebody comes into a a teleconference and they're distracted and they're, they're not really paying attention for all, you know, their toddler is having an atomic meltdown in the background, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the meltdown of all meltdowns and they're trying to focus but it is difficult with this piercing screeching happening at the background and recognize that in COVID-19 times, nothing is linear. It isn't like there's a constant trajectory where you're going to just feel good and just get, you know, better and better and better each day. Um, I, I, I'm going to be really honest. You know, we were in about uh, probably week nine and um I woke up one morning and uh, my husband is also an executive in the government. So he's also teleworking like I am. And he came into our room into our bedroom and, and I was just sitting on the bed and he said, what's going on? And I just started crying 
And I said, mm-hmm. I miss my, my kids. I miss my grandkids. I miss my life. Um, and I just, I had this moment and I, I have a standing meeting with the team at 9.15 every morning just to, you know, figure out the day because the, the, team, the team that I'm leading at the moment is around planning our organization's COVID response. And, and it's now just been uh, including uh, business resumption. So I need to be uh, present. I can't just show up. I need to be present. And I started my 9.15 meeting by saying, I'm not doing all that well today. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really missing my, my family. I'm, you know, I'm missing, you know, having the opportunity to take my kids to, you know, the Calypso, the water park or, or, you know, whatever it is. And I just need you to know that. And I had probably four of my team phone me, several who emailed me that said, I'm not doing okay either. But because you made it safe to say that, I just wanted to let you know that. Mm-hmm. So it's that safety, right? There's no, yeah. there's no judgment here. There, there can't be judgment here. And all we can do is think the best of people um, and, and try and support them because tomorrow will either be a better day, the same day, or maybe a not so great day. And, but the next day, they may be on that Corona coaster right up at the top of the, the ride and mm-hmm. pumping things out a million miles a minute. And so I am also on the Corona coaster and I, as their leader, need to be really frank with them that I'm probably never going to fit into my button up pants again, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and yet I, uh, I feel very blessed to be living in Canada, being healthy. I'm a cancer survivor, uh, several times over. And so I, uh, I'm very fortunate that, you know, even though I have an Im- a compromised immune system, I'm healthy. And yeah. so I am going to focus on all the things that I have in my, excuse me, in my life rather than all the things I'm missing. And I think, you know, what I heard in that is a couple of things uh, around that idea of, of kindness is one is showing vulnerability, like to be able to say, look, today is just a really bad day for me. I am not doing well today. I think, as you said, opens up the door for others to say the same thing and to be honest. And there can be so much power in finding that connection within that vulnerability. And, you know, I think the other thing is that that positivity and um, recognizing that things can be going really poorly, but tomorrow's another day. And where are we going to go tomorrow? And actually, the third thing that really stood out to me in what you said was that assume good intent. Like assume somebody is coming from um, a place of, of, well, yeah, I think coming from a place of good intent, there may be something going on with them. And so you never know what they have going on in the background of their life or their space or whatever the case may be. Um, and so to be, to be gentle with that and keep that front of mind. So uh, Bunny, I know because of COVID-19, your work has shifted. Uh, so prior to COVID, you were involved in nursing now, and, uh, now you're working on with the COVID response. Uh, tell me a little bit about that shift and, and how you've been able to adapt to that 
uh, I'll say suddenness of that shift. It really was. It was, um, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, went to work one morning and, and my boss uh, sadly had a, um, a family member pass. Uh, and it was right at the kind of early March. And um, she is the, our chief nursing officer. And she asked me to fill in for her for a couple of days. And and uh, so I did. And, and, you know, I'm happy to help out and support. She's very supportive of me. And um, so uh, when um, she was gone, it was, it was when uh, the World Health Organization declared um, COVID-19 a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Of course, all of that kind of happened literally, uh, as you probably recall, within the span of a couple of days, the world shifted. And um, my boss came back from her, her the funeral and she said, um, you know, I, I need you, uh, if you are interested, to help us in, in this response. And I recognized right from the beginning that all of the work around nursing now, I mean, if ever there was a year to recognize nurses and midwives, it's this year. If I know, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it's, you know, the International Year of the Nurse and the Midwife 2020. Um, and, and yet we can't uh, take the time out to recognize nurses in formalized kind of, you know, um, ceremonies and so on, the way that we, like we had such grandiose plans for the whole year. You should have seen the things we had planned. Um, But what we're we're doing is we are saying to ourselves, uh, all of us, so the Canadian Nurses Association, Canadian Indigenous Nurses, um, uh, you know, the Canadian Nurses Foundation, uh, you name it, uh, like all of the partners that we work with and all of our Indigenous partners um, and all of the schools of nursing, you know, like we just, we have such a wonderful steering committee. We all recognized that it will, nursing now will continue in the background to the, the ability that it can. So we've shifted from recognizing nursing and, and midwifery as you know, very noble and incredible professions to imagine what this world would be like without nurses and midwives now. It would be, we would be sunk. Um, So when we, as part of my role as the Director of Nursing Now Canada, I provide uh, quarterly updates to the Nursing Now organization, which is an arm of Burdette Trust and the World Health Organization. And in our last update, I um, put a formal request in on behalf of Canada asking that the International Year of the Nurse and the Midwife be extended into 2021. Mm-hmm. That I think that, um, you know, the world has has recognized, you know, I have a sign on our front yard, you know, a thank you to the frontline workers. I think that if we, um, you know, take the, the role of the nurse and midwife in the COVID-19 response, for me, it was... Yes, the majority of my day-to-day nursing now activities stopped, but the promotion of nurses and midwives and the role that they play in the healthcare system, in fact, I think is even, I have an even deeper, profound, profoundly deep uh, respect for nurses, particularly at the front line and midwives who are in these you know, situations, these healthcare settings where they are protecting all of us because in some instances, you can't go in and sit beside a loved one when they're passing from COVID simply because of, you know, infectious control um, protocols and yet Mm -hmm. the nurse will sit beside them, right? Yeah. So 
I, uh, I, I have been able to shift my, my thinking from day-to-day -day nursing now activities, but I have never uh, felt more connected to nursing and midwifery than I do in this job. Well, and I think that's such a powerful statement um, and really echoes your commitment to the profession of nursing, um, but the appreciation as well. And I will say this, the one thing that I think COVID has really revealed is the critical importance of all of our frontline mm -hmm. workers. I mean, I think the knowledge was always in our minds, but this just highlights it and brings it to the front. And to your point, we would be in a dire place without without nurses and without the other frontline workers. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and the innovative approaches that healthcare professionals have come up with, um, you know, in hospital settings, in community settings, in setting up, uh, you know, drive-in, uh, you know, pre-screening, like much of that is driven by nurses. Mm -hmm. are incredibly practical people. I, I have a couple of nurse practitioners on, on the team that I have now, as well as a number of nurses. And I, I sit in awe as we, you know, we, did, we designed a progressive triage process for, um, you know, as, as an example that communities could use because Indigenous communities have done the most incredible job protecting their communities. Uh, you know, they took early interventions very early on. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we provide things like, a, you know, a, an example of a progressive triage process. And, you know, I'd sit in a room and we'd write it all up in a, when we were physically all still in the office, and we'd write up the triage process. And then the, then the nurses, I, sadly, I don't have any midwives on the team, but the nurses would sit with me and go, huh, so in that setting, so let's think about the secondary building. So what's the purpose of the secondary? Is it isolation? Is it triage? Is it, you know, waiting to be medevac? What's the purpose? Okay, if it's that purpose, then they need the following equipment. And it was just, it was like they had this depth of knowledge that I always knew they had, but to see it live in action was awe-inspiring. It really, really was. And, um, and the willingness to to have anybody come into the fold and let's talk it through. Uh, you know, we had infrastructure people, we had financial people, we had healthcare professionals, we had people like me who who aren't any of those things, but you know, or, well, I have an MBA, but um, you know, sit at the executive level, and we just literally we sat in a room for about four days and we mapped out every possible scenario we could think of, and it was the nurses, frankly. In, the, in that particular scenario that um, were innovative and completely and totally patient-centered. Mm -hmm. and, and yet recognized the, you know, the, the sisters and the brothers in nursing who need protection, who need the PPEs, who need to ensure that they, you know, there's adequate cleaning. That was never out of, out of uh, you know, our conversation. It was top of mind. And it was just amazing to watch. And I, I find myself, because I'm rounding up my career, I'm, I'm retiring in 2021. Um, and I feel, this is going to sound crazy, but I feel incredibly honored to be leading a team in this time um, where we have an opportunity to do all that we can to support Indigenous communities in our, in, in our area 
um, because they have the responsibility within their own communities to take the decisions they have, and, and thankfully they have. But think about the healthcare settings that all mm -hmm. these nurses work in, and it, every single one of them, in my opinion, are leaders to the nth degree. They're just amazing people. It's a beautiful statement, Bonnie, and I would agree with you 100%. In closing, what is the final piece of wisdom that you would maybe like to leave with everyone? I think, you know, I, I, I've said this word many times throughout this podcast, and so, um, you know, at the risk of being a little repetitious, I'm going to say that um, leaders aren't born leaders. I think you can become a leader by being emotionally intelligent, not just you know from an IQ perspective, but an EQ perspective. And if you ground your approach in kindness, I truly believe that you will excel at whatever you do. And you don't need to be in leadership positions to be a leader. You could be a leader at the photocopier. You could be a leader in garbage pickup, <laughs> but you can still be a leader. And I would say that if you, ground and root yourself in a position of kindness, I truly believe it really does grow uh, the most amazing leaders from that, if you think of that as the soil to provide nutrients. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for your time and your stories and, and that knowledge and that wisdom. I really appreciate you being here. Well, I absolutely, I feel very honored for the opportunity. Uh, and thank you again for the invitation. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media, so check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.